scripture read this morning, we are reminded of the quip we have often heard, practice what you preach. It comes from this text. Jesus is being interrogated by the religious authorities, what they call the scribes and the Pharisees, basically the preachers and the elders in the church. And they're trying to get enough of him to convict him, something they can use to crucify him. At every confrontation with them, Jesus turns it around, giving them nothing about himself to use, but in fact revealing everything about themselves. Finally, after all of this, he turns around and faces the crowds and looks at his disciples who were listening in and then exposes those temple authorities publicly. He calls them hypocrites. To their face in public. He says they lay burdens of rules and expectations, guilt and shame on you, but don't lift a finger to help you get rid of them. He accuses they make sure they get the best seats at the table, have the finest robes and vestments, and make sure they are called names of honor like rabbi or reverend or doctor or bishop. Then he reminds them and us that we are not to follow in this way. Don't let anyone call you rabbi or reverend or teacher or father, for we have one rabbi, and that is Jesus. We have one father, and that is the God who is in heaven. And then he sums it all up. It sums it all up in this last verse. For the greatest among you will be your servant, and whoever exalts themselves will be humbled while whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In the old days, before women were pastors, we used to be called men of the cloth. I suppose it was because priests and pastors wore clergy that signaled us as clergy, that served as a way to tell that we were clergy. Therefore, I'm not sure whether you were supposed to get out of our way or ask for prayer or what. Just like these priests in the temples with their long fringes and phylacteries, our clothes are meant to help us stand out. Now, i got to tell you one of the best things about being a Presbyterian pastor is that I don't have to wear a collar. And I only have to wear this robe when I preach. For wearing a collar is a distinct disadvantage in heavy traffic, close ball games, and social events when wine is served. The problem with being a person of the cloth is that if you look the part, you better well act it. Otherwise, we are nothing more than hypocrites ourselves. Jesus is busting us one more time in this morning's passage. Yes, as much as we hate the word hypocrites, if we don't act the part but look it, we're only play-acting in holiness and righteousness while in reality our lives are far from it. Instead of relieving the people of burdens, we lay more guilt and shame and obligations and responsibilities and shoulds on them, but we don't live by them ourselves. Now, we shouldn't throw stones too quickly, clergy or not. We are all in our own way hypocrites. We all lead double lives. The one we want to appear 
to be and the one that we actually are in private, on the inside. And, and, and really, not revealing what we are on the inside is not always a bad thing. There is such a thing as TMI. None of us really want to be the, see the sausage being made in everybody else's life. I mean, we've got enough to deal with the way sausage is made in our own life. All the contradictions and ambiguities and fleeting thoughts of anger and revenge, all of our passions and so forth, all mixed together in the mix that who we are, both good and bad. We've got enough to deal with. Don't show me your stuff, too. But the truth is that those who know us best are not fooled. They bust us all the time, seeing through our facades. And hopefully, if they love us, they call us on it. Which is what I think real community is all about. They see us as we are, and they call us when we are not being truthful. When the girls were young, her mother and I decided to teach them the one virtue that we wanted, which was kindness. That was our goal for them, that we would raise them to be kind. We preached it to them over and over again. And then after their mother died and the girls and I flew to Anguilla to scatter some of her mom's ash, their mom's ashes there at their mother's request, on the return trip we had to fly through Miami and I knew our connections were close and as I walked into that room, that customs room, which should hold about 50 people, there were 500 or 600 wall-to-wall chaotic people all jostling to get in the six lines of customs agents, even though they had 20 possible openings. I was livid. I knew we were going to miss our flight connection. I was angry. They had a sign that said, no pictures. I immediately pulled out my phone and started taking them. I was going to send this to my congressman. And by the time I finally got to the customs uh, agent, uh, I walked up, I slapped my passport down, I looked at her and I said, I am so mad I could just blow up. And she immediately stopped and looked up at me. Now, this was March of 2002, six months after 9-11, and any mention of blowing up in an airport was not welcomed. She looked back on the computer. I guess that she had the total information of my being, and she must have seen that my formal name was the Reverend William Stephen Goyer, and she looked up at me and said, you didn't really mean that, did you? No, I said, you need to calm down. The girls were mortified. We missed our connection. We made the next one an hour later. No big deal. When we got in the airplane, one of my daughters, who will go unnamed, leaned over at me and she said, Dad, yeah. Do you remember growing up that your goal for us was to teach us how to be kind? I said, yeah. Well, guess what? You did not set a very good example back then. I was busted. As I said, those who know us best can see through the garments of pretense we hide behind, especially Jesus. 
In the end, it all comes out in the wash. The question is, when we are left standing before Jesus, and this is the question really on our hearts today as we celebrate All Saints Sunday and the lives of those who have gone before us, being reminded that we one day will be on that list. The question is that when we are left standing before Jesus with nothing to hide behind than our own true selves, what self will it be? Who will we be there? Will it be just that pretentious self that we have lived with and behind all of our years? That self that we wanted everybody to see and, 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 and feed our egos with? Or will it be our true, sincere, congruent, which means oneness, uniform, congruent self of integrity? Will it? That's the question. During the stewardship season, our stewardship committee has adapted the phrase from generosity, excuse me, from gratitude to generosity as our underlying focus. And as I think about that, it might be that I should have thought of that as the goal for our kids growing up, from gratitude to be grateful to generosity to live lives that were generous. The thing about it is, it wouldn't be a bad thing at all if it's been said and done about us, would it, that we were grateful and generous? I mean, the opposite wouldn't be so good. We were ungrateful and stingy. Grateful and, and generous in all things, material and spiritual, wouldn't that be a good thing to stand with? One of the blessings and sometimes burdens of growing older is the chance to step back a little and look back over our own lives to see and to ask, what will our legacy be? This is, this is a way for us to see ourselves, an opportunity to see ourselves uh, as we were, as others have seen us, sometimes selfish, sometimes too ambitious, uh, sometimes grandiose, yet sometimes grateful and generous and forgiving, too. Stepping back from ourselves and asking that question, who will I be as I stand before Christ, gives us a chance to see forward, too, because we're not there yet. We still have days and months and even years left before us, as far as we know, and as we look into the future, we can see ourselves in a new possibility. How many days do I have left? If I have a few even, will I live them gratefully and generously? And every new day, we have the freedom to change that legacy to the one for the better rather than the worse. I've been reading something lately about wills, and it's especially true the way we leave our wills, for in many ways we try to make our legacy present in that will that we leave, not just in the way we've left our, lived our lives, but in the way we've died, we've left our lives. We give witness to our true selves. If we want our children to value the virtues of gratitude and generosity, for instance, then shouldn't we set an example that not just should that be in life, but also in death? 
If they are meant to be, in a way, a legal legacy, we leave for our family our legacy, then what should they reveal in that legacy? I have a friend who receives every quarter from a deceased rich uncle a dividend from a trust that he left to all of his loved family. She knew her uncle to be a kind and generous man, supporting many causes and especially his church. And he always preached generosity to them whenever he was around, the need to be a good steward. When he died, he directed that the trust include with every single dividend check this note. It was stapled to the check. Quote, it was your uncle's hope that you will wisely give 10% of this away to needy causes. And every time she gets the check, she has to tear the note off and be reminded one more time that this was her uncle's legacy, his will for them, in his own generosity that they too would become grateful and generous. It's an interesting phenomenon going on with this whole legacy thing now. People are making a video of themselves with what is called their virtuous legacy, their ethical will. They're saying to their loved ones, that when they die, they'll watch their video. They're saying to them that which they have not said to them in their life, things they want them to now live by. But it, it forces the question, why does their life not serve as the ethical legacy, the will that they live, the way they live their lives? Isn't that even more important to leave your children? Why do we do it the way we do it? Wouldn't it be out just thinking that we not only practice what we preached, but that we preached what we practiced? On this All Saints Sunday, when we are called to remember those who have gone before us, and we celebrate with them the great cloud of witnesses as we gather together at the communion table, if you listen closely enough, if you listen closely enough, you can hear their voices breaking through their voices can be heard singing along with all the saints in heaven and on earth, the Sanctus. Behind all their pretenses and hypocrisy and who they hoped they would have been on Facebook, they can answer the question, who am I? But they can also ask it, who are you? That's our question. If it is true that we become the clothes that we wear, that we in some way morph into the facade that we live by, then let us hear these words in Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 14. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now that, my friends, is a legacy worth leaving. And every day, we try our best to do it. And the next day... We try to do better.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.